You're now listening to J House Radio in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wine be the gang and you know them niggas Boot it up, turned up, piped up I'm back, baby, where the love at? I'm back, baby, where the love at? Yo, first try. That's awesome. That's awesome. Bet. Yes, I, I'm. Uh, I was just making sure I was getting my live stream. Can you hear me? Okay. I hear you just. Gotcha. Get the IG because I'm doing it live from IG. I just did an impromptu live just to play with it a little bit but what is up everyone welcome to j house podcast radio this is episode number 181 coming to you 181 what 101 <laughs> you've done 80 episodes since the last time we talked since episode 100 like what absolutely not like wow I that just goes the dedication <laughs> that just goes to show you how tired i actually am didn't get much sleep last night <laughs> but um yeah, welcome to episode 101. I'm here with my boy, Evan Elliott. How you doing, bro? Always awesome to be on here. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. So, in light of everything that's going on with, um, with you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, all that, um, the Snyder Cut DC announcing their DC fandom event that's coming in August, uh, all this other stuff. We decided that, you know, and you came up with a great idea that we were going to discuss the top five non-DC and Marvel villains um, that we have on our list. And that was an excellent idea because usually when we talk about our top five villains or our favorite villains, it doesn't bode well and it always ends up turning into a debate, but these lists are based off our personal favorites. And, um, that was just an excellent idea. Well, I mean, there's two parts to that. I mean, number one, I wanted to call it favorite list, not best, because whenever you say best, that implies, right. But whenever you say favorite, that implies these are my personal, uh, takes. Uh, and then number two, Every time I've ever come on here, it seems, with the exception of the one time we talked about Star Wars, we're always talking about Marvel or DC. Yeah, that's true. So I, so I figured this time we could do something different. Yeah. And so real quick before we get into the list, I just wanted to very briefly share my, when I say personal favorite, my criteria yeah. So people know where I'm coming from with these villains. Right. Some of the villains on this list are on here because I really wanted to see them die. Like really? I, I just like and that's to me that makes a great villain. Like if I want to watch you die, you've done your job. Right. Um and I don't know about you, but I kept this exclusive to movies. I don't know if you did any TV shows or not. Um I but did. if you did I put oh, it's I, fine. Yeah. Oh, don't say anyone on your list yet. Oh, I have it. Um, and then also just overall acting performance and was the villain believable and did the villain have good motivation? Yeah. And, um, 
Also, relationship to the protagonist is also a big plus with me. Right. Like, a lot, I, I can't. I don't necessarily like villains that are just they they happen to be there and then yeah. the hero happens to be there so right. we have to fight. I like it way more whenever there's a personal connection like this was something inevitable that was bound to happen. Yeah. So and then also the final criteria I had is I have a couple I, I do have one character on this list who some people might argue is is not a villain. And that there is an argument to be made for that. Yeah. But I do love anti heroes, so I've got one on here. Okay. So, well, I'll let you go ahead and kick off the list if you're ready. All right, cool. Um, do do you want me to go one villain at a time and explain why, or do I just list one, then explain, and then go over to you? Oh, you can do a one, explain why it is, and if I've seen the film the villains in, we can go back and forth talking about the villain. Okay. I'll do mine, so on and so forth. All right, got you. Well, um, number one on no, no, not number one. Number, wait, how'd you how'd you do yours? This isn't like your top one, is it? No, this is no, this is just number one through. They're not in any particular rank. They're just one through five. Oh, I did mine in a rank. Okay, that's fine. Oh, I mean, if you did yours in a rank, that's cool. All right, go ahead, man. Um. Well, I can start at my number five and then go to number one, I guess. That's fine. Um, at number five of top five non-DC and Marvel villains, for me, I have um, Ernst Stavro Blofeld at number five, um, Christoph Waltz incarnation, uh, to be specific, from Daniel Craig's era. And I have him at number five because, for me, what meets the criteria of a villain is, um, you know, someone who looks at the bigger picture, someone who um, someone who you can implicate in the events that happen without even having to see them, per se. But you you feel that presence coming from them. Um, definitely someone that you want to see die, depending on who it is. But that doesn't someone that you necessarily that you can love too as well. You know, you don't have to necessarily have to see them die depending on who they are. But yeah, I have Blofeld on here at number five, man, because when quantum of solace came out in 2008, um, there was a writer's strike because, you know, or, and then there was a lawsuit going on because uh, MGM couldn't use uh, Spectre yet in, um, in, the James Bond franchise, they didn't have the rights. So they wrote quantum as a sub organization to Spectre until they got those rights or per se, they waited till they got the rights and then retcon quantum, which, and it sort of made sense and it all fell into place. Um, mm -hmm. There's always been this one mysterious figure for Daniel Craig's bond. That's been haunting him his whole life. The one who cost him Vesper. And I think we all can agree that Daniel Craig's Bond is the first one that has this sort of, I mean, cinematic continuity, you know, where every adventure is intertwined with each one. They're not just a bunch of random in sequence. Exactly. Adventures. Yeah. And so when we look at Blofeld, when Spectre came out, people were like, oh, it's this big retcon, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, it, it doesn't, you know, but I'm like, when we look at the broad scheme of things, when we talk about, uh, James losing Vesper, then 
skipping ahead after Quantum, dealing with that suborganization, losing uh, M, and then, you know, and, and it's tied to another villain who's at number four, but I'm not going to say yet. Um, what we saw from the from the villain in Skyfall, seeing the oh, hints dude. at that, you know, throughout, it just painted the picture of, like, the ultimate villain. And I'm like, so finally when Blofeld gets here, you know, he's like, you know, it was me, bro. Like, I did all of that. And Kristoff did an amazing job, I think, just, you know, showing that emotion, showing that, hey, this was personal for me as to why I did all of these things. And the funny thing is, is that he's not even done because in no time to die, he's going, he's going to be in there in a, in Craig's last one too. And from what I've seen in the trailer, I don't know what Blofeld knows about Remy Malik's villain about, um, about Remy Malik yet, but whatever it is, he's like, bro, when you find out Madeline's secret, you thought what I did was bad. no, this is going to like destroy, this is going to be the end of you bro so it's like i'm just super excited to see him yeah, again and i i really i'm really glad that he brought uh continuity and unity to uh to Craig's uh saga and sort of bridged the gap to make it whole you basically said everything i could say about that villain Real quick, I want to say something about Christoph Waltz. Yes, as an, as an actor, uh-huh. he is he is so phenomenally good at playing the sophisticated slash almost calm villain. Yeah, to, to the point where uh, there's a lot of villains in movies that like give off an evil vibe. Yeah, but he's just so calm, and that calm demeanor almost like just him in and of himself being that calm scares you, right? And it's like chill bumps, but yeah. um, yeah, he was a phenomenal Bond villain. And ironically, I actually have Christoph Waltz at my number five spot, really, on my, on my list. Yeah, no cap. At wow. the beginning, I said that one of my criteria is a villain that I wanted to see die. Yeah. And I can't think of many more villains that I just wanted to see get shot between the eyes yeah. than, than Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. Right. I mean, this guy, and I mean, if I was doing a list of best movie villains, he might be higher up on the list because the acting was absolutely insane and he's got the Oscar to show for it. Yeah, but but what lands him on this list for me is the opening scene, where if you haven't seen Inglorious Bastards, spoiler alert. I have the opening. The opening scene of the movie is him talking to a guy that's hiding Jews in his floorboard. Yeah, and like it's not really even an interrogation. Hans is just sitting there talking to like they're talking about just random stuff. Yeah. And then out of the blue, Hans goes, Oh, by the way, I definitely know you're hiding Jews here. Wow. Yeah. It, and it's and it's just like, cause you think for a moment, are they gonna live? Are they not gonna live? Right. And then Hans Hans is like, Yeah, this whole time I've known. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm the best at what I do. Right. I'm gonna now just tell me and then he even knew where they were. That's what got me. Right. He goes he goes they're under the floorboard, aren't they? Right. 
and then like the whole tone totally shifted and you're just sitting there like holy shit this guy yeah and like the whole film he's just this cocky as fuck villain yeah and it's insane to watch how cocky and yet calm he is at the same time Mm. and on top of everything else he's a nazi so you really want to see this guy die but spoiler alert, unfortunately, you don't get that, but you do get to watch Brad Pitt cut his skull up at yes. the end. So, yes. I mean, that was, some, that was something, but I really wanted to watch him die. Yeah. I, I really did. If, but, if, you know, we got, we got to see Hitler die. Right. If I'm not mistaken, in that continuity of, of the movie, Quentin Tarantino had written that they ended the war, like, right there with Londa. Is that mm-hmm. right? In that, in that, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, Tarantino's got a habit of like making movies that it's like, don't we wish history would have gone this way? Yes. Because, like, with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that whole film basically boiled down to what would have happened if the Manson family would have went in the wrong house and Sharon right. Tate wouldn't have gotten killed. Right. Like that that was what it all boiled down to. But yeah, Hans has my number five spot because of just his sheer evilness. Like you question this guy's humanity so many times. Right. He takes like he he's got the nickname the Jew Hunter, and he mentions many times that he owns that name. Right. And he is he brags about the work he put in to get it. He's like, Yeah, I'm a Jew hunter. I'm the best one and I'm proud of it. Yeah. And it's just so evil, and Han and Kristoff uh, got a very well deserved Oscar for that film. Yes, very well deserved. I agree. I agree with that. I do. All right. So, who you got next? Um, be- before we move forward with number four, just to point that out, like, bro, the irony that we both had Kristoff Waltz at number five, like, that he's a fu- he is so overlooked, but he's so awesome. Yes. Anyone that's seen a Christoph Waltz movie knows how amazing he is. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't know how he's at. And then here's what's insane: like I said, Quinnen really put him on the map because he can play a sick villain like Hans and then turn around and be the hero in Django. And Django, Dr. yeah. Schultz. Like yeah. him and Django, th- that was like a power team right there. Yeah, I, I was that's, just watching it last night. Yeah, and like people for like obviously the the two actors people talk the most about in that film is Calvin or uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jamie Foxx because they're kind of the two main guys. Yeah. But man, we ain't going to sit here and take away from Christoph Waltz. From Christoph, no. All them one-liners like whenever he shoots the sheriff in front of God and everybody and then he looks at the guy and just calmly says, "Okay, yeah, now go get your marshal." Now go get him. Yeah. Like he's so calm. He's like, "They're not going to do anything to me. I know how this is going to play out." Right. I love it. All right, anyways. Um yeah, all right. Um going up at number 4, tying into um number 5 was Silva from Skyfall. Um yes. The the reason why I have him at number 4 is because going to the movies when I went to go see Skyfall right around this it was in 2012, note around this time I was infatuated with Daniel Craig as this angry, brutal, you know, James Bond that they betrayed in Quantum of Solace, which was basically him learning his lessons and getting over all his breakups. So um, 
I was looking for Skyfall to continue that and was kind of disappointed when they sort of moved away from it and went in a, you know, this is about James getting his groove back and celebrating the 50 year anniversary of James, you know, and all that. I just, I was thrown off because I was expecting Skyfall to be like quantum. But over time I understood what Sam Mendes, who's a phenomenal director. I understood exactly what he was doing and, Little did I know that as I continued to watch Skyfall, the more I watched it, the more I fell in love with it, the more I caught the details that he was actually planting the seeds of Spectre in Skyfall, especially with Silva. And people overlook this. Um, uh, Silva is just like this calculating, conniving, uh, super smart flamboyant villain who's got a personal beef with M. You know what I'm saying? Note that, mm-hmm. that and and for the record, let everybody let me repeat that for everybody. He has a personal beef with M, not James, but M. And so when people look at me and they're like, well, uh if we go back to number five, Blofeld was just a retcon villain. No, he was not, because when you look at Silva, if you if and people are already wrapped up in Silva's performance, they're already wrapped up because his every line is just written intricately. His body language, his mannerisms, his reasoning behind why he's doing what he's doing is all planted so well. And when we take it back to his first intro scene, when he's talking to James, he's like, um, you know, M sent you out here knowing you're not likely ready, knowing you'll likely die. Mommy was very bad. And after that, he goes into, you know, the medical records for James. And he's he's like, you know, she, James is like, you know, she never lied to me and would never lie. Silva's like, oh, really? Your medical evaluation failed. Psychological evaluation failed, you know. And then he's like, um, psychological pathhood trauma uh, is what resulted in his lack of respect for authority. Silva looks at James and is like, he thinks like, huh, so that's what that means. As if someone's told him something that nobody else knew about. And then fast forward later into the movie at toward the end where Silva's walking to the church to kill him. And he looks at, um, he looks at, um at James parents grave why would he do that notice that i said they were tied he's his personal beef is with m not james or his parents why would he look at james parents grave smirk laugh and then he's like oh wow and keeps walking and i'm like that's because sam was already planting the seeds of what where blofeld would take us inspector and and Silva was just such a great catalyst for that and how to and how to just like, you know, play James along and and really bring out the best in James. And I think that, you know, Silva and Blofeld together are a powerhouse combo. There are even theories where they talk about where sometime before Skyfall, Blofeld and Silva met. And that's how Silva got all the resources that he had. I would love to see that meeting with two powerhouse villains on the screen personally but yeah that's where i have silva at being at number four well let me say this about silva 
Silva to me is, and honestly, the only reason he's not on my list is I don't know how, but I forgot about him. <gasps> what? He could easily be on my top. Well, and also, I've already got one psych or two psychopaths on my list, and I didn't want to have a third. That's another. Wow. Um, but let me just say this, man. Javier Bardem. Yes. It, to me, is the undisputed king of the cold and calculated villain. Mm. And if and if anybody out there wants to know why I think that, go watch No Country. No for Country old for Old Men. Yes, I mean, and then in uh, Skyfall, not only was he cold and calculated, but he was intelligent as all get out. Yes, and the scene that you reference where he tells uh, James that he failed all his uh, uh, evaluations. To me, I'm thinking this is like the first time I've ever seen a, a villain actually break James Bond mentally like this. Yeah. Like, this is brutal. Hard to watch. To me, I look at that and I almost get Batman and Joker vibes Yeah, from watching that. I mean, and, and honestly, I just hate that they couldn't have put Silva in more movies and tied him in because he was such an amazing villain. Right. Um. And and shout out to Javier Bardem and Mendes for, for creating such it. Because to me personally, I actually, in terms of characters, I actually like Silva more than I do Christoph Waltz's character, whose name just slipped my mind. Yeah. Um. Blow, only yeah. because only because I'm biased toward the more cold and calculated villain. Right. Um. Which I mean, good God, Javier Bardem is the master. Yeah. Um. All right, now for my number. Bring it on. Or I went with a, a villain that actually scared the crap out of me the first time I watched this film, and it's a very haunting performance, and it's yeah. very depressing that this person did not get an Oscar, but they lost to a person who was higher up on my list. But had they been any other year of this movie come out, they would have gotten it. And that's Robert De Niro as Max Cady in Cape Fear. Uh, wow. I don't know if you've seen this one. I have not. Okay, well, so are you familiar with the... With the what? The premise of the film. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm surprisingly so uncultured just, on this. Just a super quick summary in like five sentences. Yeah. Uh... So, Max Cady is a man who was sentenced to prison for 15 years for raping a girl, and he gets out, and he wants to kill his defense attorney because he found out that there was evidence uh, about this girl that could have made Max innocent, even though Max did it. So, the whole film is about Max trying to psychologically destroy his defense attorney. And it's the, Dark. have you ever, have you ever heard the line come out, come out wherever you are? That's Cape fear. That's where that comes from. Wow. Uh, there are so many scenes in this film where you were glued to the screen because Robert De Niro is so scary. Yeah. He's a psychopath, 
but he's not like on a murderous rampage. He's not running around killing people. Right. He's just psychologically destroying this guy. Right. And like keep giving him the impression, hey, I know where your daughter goes to school. I know where your wife goes. I know everything about you. I could kill you right. at any time, but I'm going to keep you on the edge because I'm not going to kill you until I feel I've made you suffer enough. Yeah. And the, it all leads down to this epic showdown on a boat. And man, I'm telling you, this whole film, it is on Netflix. I am begging you to watch this. I'll put it on the list. It is. It is. They actually re-added it to Netflix a couple of days ago, and I've already re-watched it because this is just one of those films that, I mean, it's hard to watch. It really is largely, actually only because of uh, Robert De Niro's Max Cady. It was a very haunting performance. Anyone who has seen this character is scared by him. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a true psycho. Like, this man is berserk. Um, but, yeah, I would highly recommend you go see this this film. So I got Max Caddy at the number four slot with Robert De Niro. Bet. Uh, let's hear your number three. All right. Um, and shout out to Robert De Niro, too, because he plays... I've never seen him play a villain role because I'm so used to seeing him in mafia movies. So, oh my gosh. Like just all mafia movies is all I'm ever used to seeing him in. Oh, he's one of the goats. For sure. I'm going to definitely check out Kate Fear. Uh, coming in at number three is um, Agent Smith from The Matrix. Matrix. And I just recently. Um, I just recently re-binged the whole trilogy on Netflix and really enjoyed it so much more the second or third time around because that, you know, just discovering new things about the matrix that, that I didn't see the first time, but agent Smith, once you find out what the matrix is, once you find out how it was constructed to keep humans enslaved, uh, in this illusion that they think they have control because like the, and the funny thing about, about agent Smith is that initially in the matrix, humanity reached its height with technology, created artificial intelligence, that artificial intelligence fought back leading to the almost extinction of the humans took them over and they created the matrix to keep the humans minds enslaved until they broke out of it to join the uh, to join Zion and the resistance agent Smith in every word he says to Neo about him not being special about him hating humanity. He's like, he's the living embodiment of everything that is like anti-human. Like the man just doesn't like life. He doesn't like people who have their own free will or notions of free will he despises human beings who are not programmed to just function and do their job. And so like from, from, from the first matrix all the way to revolutions, um, Mr. Anderson just had my attention. Like he, he has been, he's the epitome of like, if Neo's woke, if Neo's woke, then, mm -hmm. 
Agent Smith is the 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 head of like the people who will tell you like to just you know oh you're overthinking it you know it's not really that serious you know oh it's just this or it's just that you're going too far that's Agent Smith except for he's more violent so mm-hmm. but other than that man there's not really much else I can say uh, about Agent Smith other than that he's he's just he's phenomenal he he really is a nemesis in every sense of the word. So that's all I can say about him. I know you've basically said everything and shout out to Keanu Reeves. Yes. One of, I, I, you know, Keanu is one of those actors who I've never once heard anyone say, you know what? I don't like him. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some actors that I've heard of people not liking, but Keanu Reeves is not one of them. Right. And I defy anyone to say that they don't because I'm like, what? Right. How, how do you not like Keanu how do you not? Shout out to him. Uh, and I forgot the name of the actor. Uh, the name eludes me who plays uh, Mr. Smith. Shout out to him. He plays Red Skull, too, in Captain America. I forgot. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones? No, not Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, um, uh, uh, he's got such an iconic voice. Oh. Hold up. I can't place my head, my name on it. My, uh, Me neither. He's got one of those names that you know, but like you can't remember it. Dang. I feel ashamed. <laughs> uh, it's all right. All right. Um, you ready for my number? Three? I am. Let's do it. All right, now, I mentioned earlier that one of my people on the list as someone that there's an argument to be had is not a villain. Yeah. And I'm going with Professor Snape from the Harry Potter movies. Wow. I don't know if you've ever... I mean, I, have, I feel like we had... I thought we had a conversation one time. And you told me you haven't. Seen I've it. never watched one. And for everybody on IG Live, don't come at me. Don't. I've never seen a Harry Potter movie in my life. Oh my God. In my life. If you had to pick one or the other, I'd recommend reading the books as opposed to watching the movies. Not that the movies are bad because they're all amazing. Yeah. But the but the the books always better. Okay. Um. But I, I will say as much as I can about Snape without really spoiling the film, because I really want you to watch Harry Potter. Um, Snape is a character. He, he is the biggest anti-hero in, that I've ever seen in any film, probably the biggest in all of cinema history. Yeah. Because you, you look at Snape, and for the first a couple of books or a couple of movies you hate this guy oh and plus he's played by alan rickman so i mean what's not to like right um and so like the first couple of times like oh my god this guy's just a he's an ass i hate this guy what's his beef with hair <laughs> like why is he so mean to hair like, is this guy just a dick like to everyone yeah but as the, the movies go on you find out this guy's got a pretty legitimate reason for being the way he is to Harry. Mm. Like the, the, there, remember I mentioned personal connections are huge for me. Yeah. Well, Snape's connection to Harry Potter will blow your mind, and it's it's one of those things where like you don't see it coming, 
And when it happens, you're like, holy crap, I get it. Right. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, now I don't even know if Snape is really a bad guy. Yeah. I mean, it's un- it's undisputable he was a, a dick in the first couple of films, but you get to the point where it's like, this guy might have been a, a good person the whole time. Yeah. Like, because, you know, you talk about redeeming qualities. Right. This is a guy who truly does redeem himself yeah. towards the end. And then by the time the last movie comes around, you feel almost really, really bad that you ever judged him. Right. Like you, 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 you're watching the Deathly Hollows, and you're like, oh, my God. All like mm-hmm. just prepare your mind for the Deathly Hollows, whether you read the book or watch the movie. You've and that's what I just love Snape as a character. He goes from okay, he's obviously a bad guy to okay, wait a minute to oh, you poor guy. I get right. It. I, I I was wrong. Like now, some people still think he's a villain because some of the things he did. Some people think his motives aren't true enough. Um, me personally, I look at Snape and I see a guy who, in the end. You know, he was to me, he wound up a hero, yeah. but I've got him on the villain list because we saw him that way for so long. And I think that's how we remember him. Yeah. Uh, but man, it's just, I, I love this character. And I wish you would have seen the movies by this point so I could say more about yeah. him. But <laughs> I'll have to come over and we're going to have to binge these things. That's true. And because trust me. Trust me, man. Once you watch one Harry Potter, you're gonna be like, put the next one in, put it, put that next one in, right? Because uh, it took a lot of convincing to get me to read the books and watch the movies because I didn't have much interest in yeah. them. Uh, but once I got started, I was like, okay, I'm glad I paid attention. Gotcha. I, all right, but yeah, that's my number three, Severus Snape, Professor Snape. Gotcha. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good one. Uh, in your opinion, do I? Because you know how I am. I'm a stickler for prequels first, originals later. Uh, do I? Do I watch Harry Potter first and then the Fantastic Beast prequels, or do I watch Fantastic Beast and then Harry Potter? I would just go ahead and watch the Harry Potter movies. Okay. Because I mean, there's really nothing in Harry Potter that. How do I put this? There's nothing that you're gonna miss in Fantastic Beasts that would leave you confused watching Harry Potter. Okay. So, but Fantastic Beasts is definitely worth the watch. Got you. Okay, I just wanted to ask just to make sure. All right, um, number two. On the top five non-DC or Marvel villains for me um, is a Game of Thrones alum who, in my perspective, didn't crown at crown as a like super duper villain. Like you knew this person was like evil and you hated them the whole time because they were snarky and, you know, hateful and spiteful and, you know, stuff. So not Joffrey. Yeah. But it's it it's like right in season six, they become like, oh, this is like evil. You know what I'm saying? And that is 
Lena Headey herself as Cersei Lannister. Um, I put Cersei at number two for me because watching, because me and Tessa re-binged Game of Thrones recently, as like I told you, and she liked it. She enjoyed the whole thing from, from beginning to end. But really, like, upon me re-binging it for a second time, I noticed that season six is probably the greatest season of Game of Thrones because in it we get to see a lot of things. We get to see Jon Snow beat the brakes off Ramsey. We get to see Winterfell get taken back so much. But the Light of the Seven and the Chapel bombing probably take the cake for me. In this whole sequence, Cersei's just like using all of her wit and all of her smart to wipe out all of her enemies in one fell swoop. And these these roots that she's taken up against these people go all the way back to season one. You know, even one of the villains who um, or somebody else who wronged Cersei wasn't even supposed to be there because um because uh, her husband died in ritual combat to the mountain, which is one of the most gruesome scenes ever in Game of Thrones. But the idiot had him beat. He deserved to die. Right? He had the mountain beat. Like, I mean, come on. Like, I, I, did, I couldn't even feel bad for him. I was like, you had the fight won. You deserve to die. You right. Idiot. When he got to heaven, his sister was probably like, you jackass. Right. So, so like, and looking at it from that perspective, like, this is I don't condone anything Cersei did, nor can you do anything to change it because she's Cersei. But in retrospect, the one thing that I did approve of Cersei doing was killing um, the the Queen of Dorne. I did approve of that because you you talk about how, oh, Cersei betrayed, a, uh, you know, murdered my husband and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Oberyn got into ritual combat. He agreed to fight the mountain. He knew the risk and he danced around like a moron instead of just getting it over with. And that, you know, that was, that was that. So Cersei doing that, but it was sad when she blew up the sept of Baylor because she had militarized religion basically by giving the sept back to the religious fanaticals in King's Landing, but she was going to, you know, blow them up, get rid of them, and in the process, kill the Tyrells, uh, the Tyrell children as well, so that there was no one else to, to, um, to oppose her. And in the process of doing that, she lost her own son because Tom and love, uh, loved the Tyrells. He loved that girl, and so you know, in Lady Marjorie, yeah, Marjorie. And 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 killing Marjorie, you know, you she basically killed her son too, which I think is the most evil thing that I've ever seen. Like he just took off the crown and hopped out the window. He's like, I'm done. That's on Cersei for sure. But you know, in retrospect, did she get the ending, the death that she deserved in Game of Thrones? No. Hell no. Absolutely not. Not after all the things she deserved to be burned alive. Right. And um, yeah, that's 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 who I have out there. Number two, Cersei Lannister at season six. She peaked like she was crowned evil. Like that was the most baddest female villain in the game at the time ever. 
You know what I'm saying? So that was it for, for that. Well, let me say this about Cersei real quick. From seasons one through five, she was just annoying. Like, there was really nothing any, like, badass about her. She was just Joffrey's mom who couldn't control, couldn't control him. She kind of gave she kind of gave off the, the spoiled rich girl vibes, yeah. and she was just irritating. Right. But in season six, uh, whenever she got kidnapped by the religious fanatics and just tortured and, and all that, yeah. my God, she changed. She came out, and she was like, look, I'm pissed off. Y'all made me walk naked through this whole town. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna show y'all how funny I think that is. Right. I, yeah, yeah. Let's see how much y'all laugh when I blow you. I blow up. you all up. And then, but then she didn't kill all of them. There, she left one person that she had something really special planned. Yeah. When when she let the nun, I mean, God, that was sick. That was one of those moments where I was like, oh my god, is where she captured the nun that tortured yeah. her. And let the mountain rape. Is that what she did? Is that what the mountain did? Is that confirmed? I'm going to assume that's what happened because they had her tied down and everything else in the world. God. That's what I assume happened. And then the way Cersei left screaming shame. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's cold. That is cold. It It don't get any colder than that, man. That's just... God, I was watching that scene and I was like, okay, Cersei is not to be messed with. Yeah. And that's one reason why season eight, real quick, we're not going to talk about this much, but that's one reason why season eight was a little bit disappointing because I was expecting more of a fight from Cersei than what we yeah. got. But it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, what um, it is. But yeah, Cersei, amazing villain. Uh, but now for my number two. Yeah. Now with Max, I had Max at number four, and I said it was a crying shame he didn't win his Oscar because had he been nominated any other year, he would have won. However, he lost to the man who gave us, in my opinion, the best psycho performance in any movie ever, and that is Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, that's a good choice. Look, I- I'm going to say this. A lot of people need to rewatch this film because I- I- I'm i going to say this too. If I was doing best movie villains of all time or best psychopaths, yeah. I-, I can't believe I'm saying this because you know me as a huge DC mm. fan. I would not have Heath Ledger's Joker at number what? one. What? I would have Anthony Hopkins above him. That's that's a that's a bold statement. That's bold coming from you. And, and l- l- let me say why. Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins to this day holds the record for the Oscar for winning the Oscar for least amount of time on screen. Yeah. I th- I think he was it's like a 2-hour film. I don't even think he's in it for 30 minutes. Right. But but my God, does he have your attention while he's in the movie? He does. The scene where they have him strapped to the chair and they're trying to figure out where this other psychopath is and the whole time they're questioning him, you get the sense that even though he's strapped down, he's in control of the whole situation. Yes. And it's just such a crazy feeling. And when he delivers that line, 
Um, you know, they say that whenever someone's killed, uh, the parents can feel their child, or whenever, whenever child feel their parents can feel their pain. And then he says, I wonder whenever your daughter's put up on a slab by this mass maniac, I wonder which part of you will tingle. Wow. Like that, that line, I was like, holy God. And then, of course, his escape where he just straight up eats the officer's face. Like, it is so gruesome. It's so evil. It's like I have never, ever, 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 ever been that scared by a psychopath in a movie. Right. Like, as, like Max Cady was scary. Hannibal Lecter was terrifying, right. putting it that way. Yeah. And for him to only be in the film for 30 minutes... It's like, my God. I mean, Anthony Hopkins in this film, I mean, I, I can't say enough about Hannibal Lecter and how scary he was and how just, he to me, he was the embodiment of pure evil. He was. The, the absolute, like, no humanity whatsoever. Yeah. None. Like, every time they were interviewing him, when uh, Clarice was interviewing him, you got this sense of, oh, my God. Because like when you first meet him, she's walking past all these psychopaths who were like banging on the glass, yeah. and they're all really, really scary. And they're talking about this one guy who's in like ultra maximum security. Right. And you get to him, and he's just calmly standing there smiling. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. And it's like, oh my god, this guy scares me more than anyone else yeah. did. And he doesn't even look like he's trying. That's true. So... For me, Silence of the Lambs, man, I would argue that if we did a list of best movie villains of all time, I mean, honestly, I would have to listen to a lot of explaining how Hannibal Lecter wouldn't be number one. Yeah. Especially from a, a movie psychopath. Like, to me, this guy set the bar for movie psychopaths, and Heath Ledger came very, very close. Yeah. But to me, nobody's passed that bar for like a guy who has pulled me in, scared me shitless, and just stole the movie. Right. And think about this. This is a film where the other villain has a girl trapped in a well. Like he's a pretty sick guy in and of himself. Right. But Hannibal Lecter's so evil, nobody hardly remembers him. Yeah. And the other villains in the film more. <laughs> but we. But we all remember Hannibal more, right? Because that—that's how—that's the impression he left on us. Yeah. Ooh. But that's my number two. I agree with that. That's a good number two. I remember watching Silence of the Lambs for the first time. I was in—we were at Coastal. I was living in the dorms when I first watched it. I don't think I slept that night. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure I didn't. But yeah, that's definitely a good number two. And it's not even jump scary. Like, there's not a single jump scare that whole Absolutely film. Absolutely not. Just a, it is a true psychological thriller that absolutely dominated the Oscars that year. Yeah. Like, it whooped everybody. And it will deservedly. I mean, it's like the perfect movie almost, like for thriller. Yeah. All right, you got some honorable mentions you want to say before we get to number one? Yes, we have now reached a 46-minute mark on J-House Podcast Radio. Um, for those watching on IG Live, we're going through our top five non-DC and uh, Mar uh, Marvel villains. Uh, for me, 
honorable mentions on my list, I have Ramsey Bolton of Game of Thrones. He was a terrible mofo yes. uh, who died a very gruesome death, even by my standards, you know, having his face. Yeah, that was gruesome even for me. Um, Darth Vader is on my honorable mentions because he he was a villain for the most part of his life, but getting around post Empire Strikes Back leading into Return of the Jedi because he knew Luke was his son. He sort of softened up a little bit and, you know, the prophecy came true. And of course, he redeemed himself as Anakin. So he's sort of a conflicted anti-hero. I guess that will put him in that case. Um, my last honorable mention is Calvin Candy of the Django Unchained, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. It takes balls, I'll say, and I'm going to be raw about that. It takes guts to play a character like that for you to, because, I mean, I know, and especially in this time with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, this social movement happening, I know a lot of people don't want to risk saying that, but at this point, it's either you are with it or you're against it. There is no being neutral. And I think when Leonardo DiCaprio played Calvin Candy, that was his sort of, you know, he's stepping into these shoes because this is a story that has to be told. So, you know, the evil racist of the South and things like that, that's just something that had to be done. You know, if nobody was going to do it, Leo sure didn't shy away from it. And that's why he makes my uh, honorable mentions list of villains. How about you? Well, let me say this real quick about Calvin. The hardest part of this list was Hans or Calvin. Yeah. That was like the, and I was going to put Calvin, but then I thought to myself, like, just in this climate, I didn't want to say that one of my favorite villains was a plantation. Yeah. But I mean, you nailed it on the head, man. The guts it took, not just to play that performance, but to not, to not shy away from it like he did and just own it and say, you know, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to people if I held back. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to do it. I mean, he literally fed a slave to dogs in that thing. Yeah. And the first and the first time you see him, he's watching two slaves fight to the death. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy. And you talk about someone who deserved a more brutal death. Yeah. A bullet to the chest did not suffice. Did not suffice, me. no. Now, uh, Samuel Jackson had a very satisfying death. I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, that was very, yeah. That whole scene. All right, my uh, three honorable mentions. Uh, the first one is one that I feel like I've watched my whole life, uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. That's just, he is the king of the classic punchlines. He's one of the what I like to call the big three of horror films, Freddy, Jason, and Michael. But the difference in the three, Freddy actually talks. And, I mean, Freddy convinced an entire generation to not sleep. Yeah. Because, I mean, that movie scared the crap out of For people. For real. Uh, number, another one I've got is the T-1000 from Terminator 2. I thought about that, uh, Yeah. The one that actually like melts and everything. Yeah. My God, was he a good villain? Yeah, he's a machine with no personality or and no humanity. But my God, was he evil? And did he sell it? He like, did. That was evil. And then another one 
is the villain of a franchise that I felt had a great premise, but it the the fran- they totally dragged this out way too long and just really lost it. And that's Jigsaw from the Saw franchise. Wow. For anybody that hadn't seen those films, Jigsaw is a guy who is a um, me- it's a mechanical or civil engineer, one or the other. Yeah. And he's suffering from cancer, like he's dying the whole time. But he's he believes that humans do not value their life, so he captures them. And the only people that he captures are actual bad people, like rapists and murderers. And like he's not just getting random people off the street. Right. Um, so he's almost a vigilante in that sense. And there's there's such a complex character. There. Right. But then after the after his death in the third one, and even to the second and third one, they kind of shied away from the complexity that was Jigsaw, yeah. and they focused more on how gruesome can, can we make, make these traps. Yeah. And then the the third, the fourth one through the final chapter were just they were borderline unwatchable because all it was is just very kindergarten yeah. plots and just how bloody can we make this trap? Yeah. But like, I, I still love Jigsaw as a character because I think there was a phenomenal character yeah. there and what could have been uh, an amazing uh, villain. So those are my honorable mentions. That's a great list of honorable mentions, man. Oh, actually, one more that I'm thinking of now that I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Emperor Palpatine. Not bad. Emperor, pa- Emperor Palpatine, yeah. I would definitely have him on there because I think he's definitely like the the stereotypical head bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and he was honestly the only reason why I was excited for the uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I was actually debating on waiting for that movie to come out on DVD until I heard that Palpatine was in it. Dang. When I heard Palpatine, I was like, okay, I'm watching this. I'm watching it. I don't even care what the story is. If it's Palpatine, I'm watching right. it. And, so, and people can say what they will about Rise of Skywalker, but he had some badass moments. Yeah. Like that scene where like all the good guys show up, and you're like, hell yeah, good guys, we have a fight. And then Palpatine freaking force lightnings everybody. Right. Like you're not about the Avengers in game me. No, but then they did just that. Exactly. But, but they even had the same line. I am inevitable. I'm Iron Man. I'm all the Sith. I'm all the Jedi. Right. I mean, you can say it was lazy writing, but at the end of the day, it was still better than The Last Jedi. Oi. I, I, I don't care what anyone says. At the end of the day, and remember I told you what the if they wanted to give uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker an honest name, It'd be Star Wars, the last. Or it'd be Star Wars Episode Nine, the last Jedi can suck. It. <laughs> because that's what it was. It was like we're sorry, but anyways, number one spot. Who you got? The number one spot, and and before I say number one, I know that we're gonna um, we're gonna probably have a debate about this later on the next podcast. Looking back at it, I would rather take the throne room scene in the Last Jedi over the ending of rise of skywalker honestly but well yeah i i I will concede that the the final fight in 
Rise of Skywalker was like a little anticlimactic. Yeah. And because all we all we really ever wanted from this series was one really, really, really good lightsaber battle. Yeah. Like, like something that would rival that of Anakin and Obi Wan in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, people can crap on the sequels all they want. Yeah. They have the they have the best fight scenes of anybody. Yeah. From from Darth Maul versus Obi Wan and Qui Gon to Anakin and Obi Wan versus Count Dooku, Yoda versus Count Dooku, and then the third one was just chock full of great fights. Yeah. Grievous and Obi Wan. You know, they kill Count Dooku, Yoda and the Emperor. Insidious, yeah. And then, of course, the best lightsaber duel of all time, Anakin and Obi Wan. Right, yeah. That was like the most hardcore lightsaber duel ever. That was awesome. That's true. Hatrick Films on our IG Live says uh, The Last Jedi was fire. And I'm like, okay, I respect that view. I respect that view. But um, moving in. I'd like to set it on fire, but you know. Evan, don't do that. I'm sorry. It's my boy Evan hates, he hates The Last Jedi to death. <laughs> and I, I, I do. With, with General Hot Topic. General. Or my bad, Admiral Hot Topic. Crazy, man. You don't, you don't want me to get on this. Who's your number one? Um, number one is going to revert back to the same conversation. I have Darth Sidious at my number one villain spot. Ooh. And here's why. At first, before George did the prequels, I do believe that Palpatine may have been this sort of stereotypical frame type villain. But once George did the prequels and he said this in an in-depth interview, once he added the layers, you know, the political stance that Palpatine was taking running the Republic government while also running the separatists at the same time, once he interweaved those two things together, it made Palpatine a lot more sinister at scale than I thought he was. Not only that, but we're talking about someone who killed his own master, as is the way of the Sith, and then proceeded to work on running. And we know how big the Star Wars galaxy is. It's a big galaxy with a lot of mm-hmm. different worlds, thousands of different, like a lot. So like this man put into play a 10-year plan, uh, three years included for the Clone Wars, to take over the galaxy. And he did it through political prowess um, and moving just in a way that was very manipulative. And it was just crazy. I got two minutes left on the IG Live, so sorry if it cuts out. We appreciate you guys for joining J-House Podcast Radio. It only does it for an hour. But, um, but yeah, Sidious just really was a great mastermind. Patrick Films agrees. Yeah, they made Palpatine a lot more genius uh, and a mastermind as well. He was. Um, George Lucas even compared Palpatine to the Palpatine and Anakin ordeal to um, someone selling their soul to the devil for unlimited power only to find out that they were tricked and deceived. So that right there resonated with me on such a level because, you know, order 66, you compare it to six, six, six mark of the beast. 
and whatever kind of discussion everyone wants to have on that. But I saw a lot of similarities in that where Anakin is selling his soul to Palpatine and Palpatine's just like this sinister, like, oh, yeah, we've done it now. I've turned you. If you can turn the best of heroes, the most noblest of heroes by manipulating them and making them go bad, then you've done your job as a villain. And and in episode six, when Palpatine was finally killed, you know, he's at the peak of his power. You know, there's you know, he you didn't have to hear about him throughout the original trilogy. You knew he was there, but you didn't have to see him. But with the completion of the prequels, I think that it just enhances that feeling more. We only get to see him a little bit in uh, in Empire Strikes Back in that one meeting with Vader. But then we see him in his full power in Return of uh, Return of the Jedi, and I just think that Palpatine is about as mastermind masterminded as it gets, and that's why I have him at the number one spot. When they brought him back in Rise of Skywalker, I was supremely upset. I was supremely, um, I was supremely mad. Didn't want him to be there. He shouldn't have been there, because um, you know, I mean. I, I thank I thank God for Disney trying to fix their mistakes. I'm thankful for that. That shows them they can do something Warner Brothers apparently can't. Right. Listen to fans. Right. And that's true. And they did that. But it came at a great cost. You know, it came at a at a very great cost. But in retrospect, I it doesn't get any better than that when you can manipulate a whole galaxy smooth and flawless. And then flip that whole thing upside down into an empire. Doesn't get any. And along the way, he's committed atrocious acts, lots of murder, had other people do a lot of murder on his behalf, and then murder them on top of that. You know, <laughs> had Count Dooku killed right in front of his face. And Dooku's like, wait, what? But, you know, yeah, that's why I have him at the number one spot. That is a phenomenal pick. <laughs> and. I mean, I agree with everything you just, even though my number one pick is different, I agree with everything you said about Palpatine. Um, truly a heartless individual, a mastermind. Uh, and then as revealed in the prequels, evidently a political genius. Political genius. Yeah. Um, but this is my list of personal favorite okay. villains. And at number one, I had... To me, numbers two through five were tough. Yeah. That was tough. Like, I had a lot of organizing to do. Number one took about five seconds. I knew who it was going to be before the get-go because this is someone I've been a fan of since I was eight years old. That He's been my favorite villain growing up, my number one favorite villain of all time, even, yes, over Joker. Um, as much as I love Joker, Joker's always taken a back seat to this guy. Uh, he embodies fear. He embodies, like, to me, when it comes to iconic villains, uh, it does not get any bigger than this. And I feel like a bunch of people already know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Darth Vader. Wow. To, to me, Lord Vader is my favorite villain of all time. And the, the gap between him and the next closest is not even close. Wow. And Rogue One reminded me why I love him so much. The, the scene at the end where Vader just 
freaking murks everybody. I was like, this is why I love him. Wow. Because Darth Vader, I, I mentioned that I love the anti-heroes. Yes. And Vader went from hero good guy. I, I think you give a little bit too much credit to the Emperor for manipulating Anakin because I think that the Council also had a huge role in doing that. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, he already hated the council and, you know, but there, the emperor had a lot to do with that. But I mean, at the end, Vader straight up killed the emperor. Yeah. So like it, to me, Vader is the baddest of the bad. You look at him that mad and the way he's portrayed differently in each films is great. Like in a new hope, he's portrayed as this person or not even really a person. Yeah. Just, just a a force with no emotions whatsoever. None. Like like he has a job, and he's gonna kill you if you get in this right. way. Uh, his entrance in A New Hope is one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history. True. Where they board the ship, Vader walks through the smoke. Like, oh my god, this guy, yeah. this guy. And then in the fifth film, he's still shown as this symbol of power and destruction yeah but then at the same time they show you he's got some you know with this luke character he's not an idiot right like like he wants to do the smartest thing he doesn't want to kill right he's actually a little bit smarter than the emperor in that sense because the emperor's plan was vader just go ahead and kill this guy right and then vader was like well you know we could do that, but, you know, what if essentially there were two of me? Yeah. What if you had another one? And the Emperor was like, wait a minute, you're on to something. Right. Here. Come to find out, Vader, you know, and then the sixth film, it really shows him struggling yeah. with it all. Or, wait, actually, you don't know he's struggling until the very end, because it seems like Vader's got it all figured out. It's not until he kills the Emperor where you're like, oh, God. Yeah. He was struggling. Right. But to me, man, Vader is the pinnacle of iconic villain. Yeah. He's got the most quoted line in cinema history. I am your father. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if there's a, a single line more quoted than that. Lord Vader is, I mean, just looking at him is enough to send chills up your spine. Yeah. That look, the iconic James Earl Jones voice, all the one-liners, like one scene I'll never forget from Vader is I can't remember if it's the I, I think it's Empire Strikes Back when it happens where he force chokes the guy through the screen. Yeah. Is that Empire Strikes yeah. Back or is that that's Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, that, just that scene, like they and the whole time Vader's just so expressionless because of that mask. Yeah. And all he says is, You have failed me for the last time. Yeah. Like that whole like he no remorse, nothing. Like just kills dead. him. And then in uh, Rogue One, the two best scenes of that movie are the ones he's in. Yeah. The the murking of everybody and the conversation with the doctor choking him. Uh, be careful not to choke on your, your aspirations. Like, oh, <laughs> like, my God, this guy. But yeah, that's my list. Hans, Max, Snape, Hannibal, and Vader. That's a good list. And, and one more thing about Vader. Would you, would you agree that, like, the the premise of everything that vader would become would you also agree that like throughout revenge of the sith 
those layers were being put there. Like I, to me, the most evil things that Vader's ever done weren't even in the original trilogy. They were all in Revenge of the Sith, like killing the youngling. That's why Revenge of the Sith is far and away better than any of the prequels. Or sequels, my bad. That's true. That's killing children, like wiping out the... T- I would love to see what happened inside that temple. George said he shot footage of it, but he said it was too dark, so he decided not to. I really would have loved to see what Anakin did in that temple, man. But that's a great list. That is an amazing list. Yours as well, man. I mean, it's just, man, Vader. And it's like another thing about him is like to give that much character to a guy in just a solid, like, black armor. You can't even see his face. Yeah. I mean, it's... Vader went from the embodiment of pure evil to the guy who wound up fulfilling the prophecy. Right. So, yeah, that's my list. That's an awesome list, man. Appreciate you for sharing it. We hit an hour and eight minutes on this podcast. So that is definitely awesome. Appreciate you, man, for sharing your list. Thank you to everyone who tuned in on IG Live. And this has been J House Podcast Radio, episode number 101. It was Eric and uh, Evan's top five non-DC or Marvel villains. List off in the comments on Instagram when I post the podcast. What are your guys' top five? We'd love to know. And we will catch you guys later. Thanks for being on, Evan. Appreciate you, bro. As always. Thank you. Peace. Peace. Catch you guys later, man. Thank you for joining. This has been another edition of J House Radio.